Welcome to the Technori Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon, joining us uh, live from WGN Radio Studio in this glorious, glorious, fallish feeling looking day, but we're overlooking Lake Michigan, which is always awesome. Um, we've had a lot of different shows in the past little while, actually, on Saturday on the live show on WGN Radio, which you can, of course, tune in 1 to 2 o'clock if you so desire, AM 720. Uh, catch it and tune in and several other places. Uh, we talked to the Adobe Chief Product Officer, Scott Belsky. Uh, we talked to Julie Novak from Party Slate. And while seemingly there's no sort of combination of things here that, that line up, uh, the underlying piece here was education, that all of the founders and entrepreneurs that we had in that show uh, would not be where they were here today, particularly Julie talking about with, with women in tech, how the emphasis has changed recently towards STEM or or in a lot of cases hasn't changed in the in the direction towards STEM, which is what she wants. And for those of you who are regular listeners and followers of Technori, which you can always follow us at Technori or follow me at Katoon on anything that is a social media channel of any sort, uh, you can get this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, everywhere, anywhere, anywhere you listen to your stuff. But what I'm trying to get at is if you follow us, you already know the passion, the time that we have spent trying to support and champion education. I think there is no better place to get started with making change uh, particularly in the tech sector for those that are, whether you're female or minority or first-time founder or whatever the case, there's no better way to get jump-started in than to just work on education, making uh, engineering something that girls think of, not think of uh, why should I, but rather they would never have even thought in the first place that it was a choice. Like they just were, I don't even understand why it was an option. Um, so I think a lot of the conversation tends to get sort of slid down this weird path where we blame everybody. If you're in the suburbs uh, and you live out there, you're one of the people who blame teachers and say they get paid too much. If you're in the city, you blame the, the city and say there's not enough money. Uh, and there's just this, like so much blame and so many things to go around. But in the end, it's all, in my opinion, my humble opinion, just a distraction from the realities, which is that we need to do a better job of just teaching children. We need to do a better job of relating to children um, and, and, and helping the entire ecosystem grow and move forward. I feel like every time I, you know, my wife is a teacher, I talk to her about her teacher things and I'm her teacher things. She <laughs> would just absolutely love me. My mom is a teacher and her teacher things too. <laughs> um, and I, and I talk to them about like what's going on. And I just like, it blows my mind that so many things have moved forward, but curriculum really hasn't. And I, I guess in my mind, I could talk about this all day long. Uh, I'm actually more passionate about this than I am tech, which uh, the, the show's called Technori, so like obviously that's a problem. Um, but we decided to sort of dedicate this show and, and some of the, the next couple shows to talking about education and what is going on and what can be done differently um, and how can we help and how can you help. Um, and, and just have like a, a, you know, I don't know, an, an unpoliticized conversation about what we need to do to help young people be able to have a better uh, more successful path than their parents, which was the goal of Americans for the history of America is that the next generation does better. And for the first time ever, I think we're in a spot where it kind of feels like that's an impossible ask. So uh, I thought who better than think circa CEO Eileen Murphy to join us and talk about this question. Uh, so without any uh, further ado, as I say, in every podcast, Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, so the, the I started this off with like a complete trick bag, right? I, like I threw everything mm -hmm. out that I had, but really at the root of it, um, I want to try to distill this education conversation down to what you, a person who has dedicated your entire life to education, actually thinks. 
Like, what is your actual opinion of, of what you see from an education standpoint of what kids by and large today are experiencing, regardless of the socioeconomics? Just mm-hmm. what is it like to be a kid today? Uh, well, I can speak to that probably as a high school teacher of 15 years, but also maybe more immediately the parent of four kids yeah. <laughs> going through public education uh, today. And I would say that to be a kid today is to be connected in every way possible, almost entirely, and um, maybe also susceptible to a lot of things that would probably worry a lot of adults if they knew what they were actually doing, which often we don't, Um, but also empowered in ways that they've never been before. I think the Parkland kids are a perfect example of where, you know, organizing a movement takes about a few weeks and it can change the world. Um, And so I think that kids are more powerful and more vulnerable than they've ever been, um, both in relation to their impact in the world but also in relation to knowledge. And so when we think about the reasons why schools exist in the first place, it's because you go to a school usually to learn from a more knowledgeable other, somebody who knows more than you about something, right? Um, You also probably go to school to do something that needs to be done with other people, not just by yourself. Otherwise, we would all just stay home and have education piped into our lives, right? So um, I think some of the things that we're seeing in education today are a result of a weird sort of inflection point in education where we all want to see technology empower and enable students and give them access to things that maybe previous generations didn't have before. At the same time as technology moves into a very undisrupted industry as far as technology goes, it's sort of going through... I don't know, it's not infancy, it's probably somewhere between toddler and teenage, Um, but there's a lot of disconnect there as well. Um, But I think we're actually sort of at the tail end of that, and maybe we're entering a young adulthood in education technology and where the vision and the dream of um, kind of systematic lift for the education industry is possible. Um, but I do think that some of the other political forces um, are going to give that either wind beneath its wings or it's it's going to slow or it down. Or unfortunately wind above its wings. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, go downhill. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, like, as a, as a veteran teacher, I was super happy to see a bunch of teachers sweep the primaries over yeah. the country. <laughs> um, I hope they all win elections, and I hope that they do what, what hasn't been done, which is to fund education properly, um, because I think we all know education is the master switch. It is the one thing that is probably the root of every problem and every solution that we have as humans control over. And uh, we as a country have been kind of divesting from it over time. And teachers make 20% less today than when I was teaching in 2000. Which is insane. Um, so like that's, that's a, I'm going to try to make this a very short tangent so we can get into something that's actually <laughs> fruitful. Um, I, I just had this conversation with my mom, who was a retired te- high school teacher, about the fact that, in my mind, this is all a big scam. I mean, you've got lobbyists and lobbyists and lobbyists and lobbyists paying tons of money to try to turn parents against the people who are responsible for nurturing their children. And it's it, it's mind-blowing from a moral standpoint. It's mind-blowing from a logical standpoint. But if you my, – my wife always says one of the biggest problems that she sees with teaching as a teacher is the fact that uh, there's a principal, not a CEO – and one of the things that I think is, I, I, like I, I don't know enough to be able to argue for or against, but I've always said that I, I feel like 
we've gotten to a place where everything has been commoditized. So everything is a business. And at the end of the day, having a CEO run a school system to make sure that the business of school is, is tended to is probably more beneficiary to the teachers at some point than sort of them just like hoping and praying that things will go right. There are so many forces right now that are that are coming at teachers are villainized by the parents in some cases. And then on the other side, it's administrators who are then villainized. It's like we've created this combat zone where what we all really wanted was just to have kids have access to the best form of education that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And, and I just wonder from your standpoint, like what what needs to be done? This is like a long answer, I'm sure. But like what needs to be done? to get this political stuff out of the classrooms and let teachers do their job. And then you have built a company that sort of specializes in the framework piece of this, the curriculum piece. I want to talk to you more about actual curriculum changes because I've got a million thoughts on just where things have gone and 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 like, and just my opinion of why things are going the way they are. So what what do we, how do we start with just depoliticizing? I would say that, you know, um, in, in the startup world, I think we all believe in data and we all believe in putting the right data in front of people so that we can make the best decisions based on evidence versus, yeah. you know, I'm the CEO, so I get to make that decision. Actually, I might be wrong, but if we talk to 25 of our partners um, and we have 25 data points, um, they can either validate or invalidate it regardless of what my role is or your role. Yeah. And, and we make a decision and we move forward. Um, so that's one way to depoliticize. So, for example, um, if we could put in front of people, um, you know, a quick fact about how much we spend in a typical district on students who are below grade level, about $1,100 extra per year per student. Um, we also know from University of Chicago's research that we can increase the number of students meeting and exceeding grade level standards dramatically by simply aligning curriculum to standards. Um, And when we do that, let's say, as an example, one of our schools that had 30% of students meeting standards four years ago now graduated every eighth grader at grade level, that cost $160 versus the $4,400 that it would have taken for us to continually lead them down a path that was making them less college-ready. Yeah, because as kids get older, the further away they get from grade level. So from an, um, you know... A, a data standpoint, I think that's how we depoliticize it is we put the real facts in front of people. So I think there needs to be more university research on, for example, ed tech products that work. I think there also needs to be more research on fiscal impact of ed tech products or professional development or programs that work. Um, and I think Chicago is a great example of school reform where we went at it from many different angles with a lot of philanthropists, researchers, um, and great education leaders and business partners in a very different way. And the impact is being validated now with Stanford's research showing that we did an extra year of growth, for example. And, um, you know, coming to the root cause analysis and saying, okay, what is working? And then scaling what is working. That, you know, by evidence. I I think that's number one. Um, That's how we depoliticize it, because there is a very good economic argument to be made for um, doing it right the first time. And um, the costs, for example, of dropout are, is well documented in terms of impact on not just loss of potential income, but also direct cost for not having a high school diploma, for example. And yet 12% of the schools in the country are responsible for 50% of the dropouts. So it's a solvable problem, yeah. but I think that sometimes people throw their hands up and say, can't be done. 
Um, that's where entrepreneurship comes in. I was a high school English teacher for 15 years here in Chicago Public Schools. Um, I had the opportunity to start my career at Whitney Young High School, which yep. was basically established as an alternative to busing to get kids to go to school together from different racial groups and socioeconomic groups. Um, super successful school. When I left there, I had a chance to go to Walter Payton College Prep. So I was one of the founding teachers at Walter Payton College Prep and had a chance to design a school that was serving a very di diverse group in every possible way, including academic achievement preparation. And we were really successful. It's now the number one high school in Illinois. After that, I, I went to the central office in Chicago Public Schools, where I was the director of curriculum and instruction for 115 of our schools, including all of our selective enrollments. And it was along that journey that I figured out, well, that's what works. That's what actually got students who came in well below grade level into Ivy League universities with scholarships. So let's do that. Um, when I turned around to say, okay, now let's do it with these 111,000 students, I realized teachers were being asked to do all sorts of things. There were clipboards and checklists and you name it, yep. frameworks. And, and I was like, well, what you're asking people to do is not physically possible to do. If you have 10 levels of readers in a classroom, three new arrivals from three different countries halfway through the year, you speak one language and you have a seventh grade textbook that's 15 years old sitting in your room, and the only technology you have available to you is a cubicle with some multiple choice questions, which is not why kids walked to school through, in some cases, really dangerous neighborhoods. They didn't go there to sit in a cubicle and answer questions. No. They went there to see the other people, just like the people who were going to Aristotle's classes. Schools are about communities of learners, not isolation. And so I was like, okay, technology can help. We know it needs to be taught, and we know how to assess it. But Right now, we're not developing technology that can live in the place it needs to live, which is in a classroom with kids and teachers. So I developed Think Circa based on a lot of research from the University of Chicago, as well as a lot of really, you know, great expertise from colleagues of, my, of mine. We wrote over 30 books on critical literacy, and we kind of tried to bottle it up in a platform to really lift the floor on what resources were available so that we could do what we're asking teachers to do, which is meet every student where they are, monitor their progress, and help them achieve really complex skills. Because today, in the 21st century, we have no idea what the kids will need to know and be able to do tomorrow. Um, what we do know is that they will need to consume complex information, they will need to think about it critically, and then they will need to express their point of view effectively. No robot, robot is going to do all of that. And if they do, then, you know, I don't know what we'll, we'll do for anyone. jobs. But, yeah. but certainly those are the skills that have not yet been automated, and those are the ones where humans will be uniquely positioned and where economic opportunity and access will lie. So that's what we should be focused on. So that's why I think CIRCO, <clears throat> which stands for Claim, Evidence, Reasoning, Counterargument, and Audience. We teach critical thinking through argumentative writing, empowering kids to be able to make a claim, support it with evidence from whatever complex text they might find on Google, um, explain the reasoning, address counterargument civilly, and um, use audience-appropriate language. That's what Think Circuit does. So you're a proponent of logical thinking. Yeah. You'd like to teach people logic so that then when they actually consume information, they process it in their head. Yeah. And then they talk to somebody next to them and say, did you process the same thing I did? And they say no or yes. And then yeah. we reason through it. And then we go ahead and regurgitate back to you what our interpretation of this was. And we have a critical conversation about what we should do about it. 
And and we Seems all appreciate though. the other point of view because yes. it made us smarter instead yes. of just being mad about it. Yes. Yeah. Evidence based thinking. Yeah. Which is just a mind blowing idea in this in this current. <laughs> so like there's this this is I love this. Uh, this is the reason we have you on the show, obviously. Um, <laughs> there's so many things and there's so many show. We should do like a six series podcast on this. The legitimacy behind like you. I'm gonna go a couple minutes back in your in your conversation about the CEO thing. Mm-hmm. When you talked about the the um, the CEOs of companies or the pr- the principals or whoever it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter, mm-hmm. Um, they're sitting back and they're supposed to be leading the way, but they choose to to follow their own agenda rather than to go with evidence. And in some th- cases, or they don't have evidence available to them. Sure, well, whatever whatever the case, yeah, yeah. And and my argument in this is that this is a fundamental misunderstanding or misinterpretation of the role of CEO. And I will tell you, like as a person who, I mean, I serve that role for my own company albeit a small number of employees and team members and impact. Um, but I, I don't think it makes it a difference whether it's me or it's like, you know, our, our partner, Mike Rothman, he's the founder of SMS. They had like 900 employees. He's had, you know, 5,000 employees in his career. He, like I try to emulate and like I think a lot of people should, take the route of like, what is the right path for us, mm-hmm. not me, us? Like how mm-hmm. the, the, the numbers are this, the you know where we're going is here Mm -hmm. like what do we do to move in the right direction it's not about me it's about my job to help us corral energy to use it Mm -hmm. and i I found that i I i've encountered more of this recently than ever before although i would say maybe i'm just more attuned to it right now but what i'm seeing is leaders who are leading for themselves and they're not using reason and it's clearly spilling out into the streets right now when you mm-hmm. see the different things that are going on, uh, you know, politically and whatever. Mm-hmm. There's just so much me stuff going on that I think that, like, unless we start doing this, unless we start teaching kids like that, that's not a good way to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this ends well for anybody. Like, I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I think these are, you know, not just about career and college readiness it's definitely about civility it's about life um, and personal happiness and and success um and i think that you know again as we um you know kind of there's a lot of things that have have gone wrong and i always try to shed light on some of the things that are going right in education and i would say that one of the things that has I did not been. help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> the show is not, and, I, like, and there are a lot of good things. And like, there's yeah. people like you that are a lot of good things going on. There's people like uh, Beth Bond that does a lot of work with startup, uh, you know, community startups and things. There are a lot of great yeah. things, that, but the problem is that the, the people that right now hold this, hold a lot of the cards don't want to give them up. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, like, I'm I'm your perfect student to be totally honest with you. When I was growing up. uh, in the 80s and 90s they called it spiraling the curriculum and Mm -hmm. that was the name of like how they designed my curriculum and it was tailor-made I think designed to keep me out (laughs) like I was the worst student I was I was a C student on every level of every stage all the way through Northwestern and everyone says me how the hell do you up in Northwestern if you're a C student I was like test machine I don't know (laughs) but like the bottom line is I always thought of things from a logical standpoint. I would read this book and I'd be like, all right, so like the logical scenario, as far as I can tell, is that this? And they're like, Mm -hmm. no, it's that. And you're like, are you the author? Like, it doesn't tell you at the end that's what they (laughs) meant. Like, that's an inference. And then now we're fighting because the test that I'm going to take that has an outcome, result outcome on your job has to dictate this. Yeah. And And I think that's right when we went, that's where everything started veering off the path. 
Well, I think there there was definitely a pendulum that swung toward um, finding the right answer. Um, and now I think the pendulum in the new standards and assessments swings towards finding a valid and supportable answer. Yep. And, um, you know, so I think that in that respect, what we're measuring is actually what we, I think most people would agree that, that they are the things that we should be measuring. But it does take time for us to retool a very busy and yeah. under-resourced workforce. So how do we do that? How do we get Think Circa to be the thing? Like, how do we, how do we make this <laughs> well, real? I mean, we're, we're attempting, you know, by continuing to use as our North Star, the delivery of results. Like, we deliver pretty reliably about two years of reading growth per year. And obviously, by focusing on writing as the strategy for achieving that, we're getting great writing scores as yeah. well. And so superintendents care about that. Parents care about that. Students care about that. So I think as long as we continue to focus on results, we'll always be successful. Um, I also think that, you know, whenever I get a chance to talk with researchers, I ask them to study ed tech, to find out what's working and tell our story, because we need results to be the main driver of, of adoption decisions. Um, number two, I think we need to, um, and again, going into the startup world, there needs to be more venture capital and other capital resources available to uh, early stage ed tech and, and medium stage ed tech. And I think, you know, thirdly, there needs to be, um, you know, more, less villainization of, as you as you put it, of each of the stakeholders. I think, you know, when we collaborate, um, we, we can find solutions. I don't think there's anybody in the world who doesn't want every student to have access to a world-class education. I don't think that, you know, these are all very fixable, solvable yeah. problems. It, it's one thing to say we can't stop earthquakes. It's another thing to say that we can't get every kid in you know, a high school diploma in yeah. the United States of America. We should be able to do that. And, and that diploma should really mean that you are educated to the point where you can leverage all of the other options available to you post-secondary to go to college, to go to the workforce, to be an entrepreneur, whatever it is. But that is a solvable problem. It's a very doable problem and it's cost effective if we decide to do that. What's not cost effective is that what we're, we're not deciding to do that. Because yeah. we can put a man on the moon. I totally agree. I think I totally agree. I think the where I'm focused in in this is I can't even begin to try to take in the whole educational experience. Like I don't even, don't even get me started on the collegiate thing. Like that's a whole other thing. I just want to see us get to a point where at the or at the K through call it. I mean, eight's a good barrier, but like even K through twelve, and you could reshuffle what years and how many years we have to go to school and all mm -hmm. that. But like K through twelve. If I don't see more logic-based and reasoning-based education and then access to, which also, by the way, is a, a huge benefit towards math and science. Yeah. Like that's, that is laying a foundation for a way of thinking that lends itself to learning math and science. Mm -hmm. If we don't start taking ourselves in that, in that direction, I really don't know where things are going to go because this rehearsed education of like, I, I give you, I give you cheat sheet, you read, you regurgitate, I give you grade, you go next level. Mm -hmm. It's not leading anywhere. Well, and, the rest and, of the world yeah. is actually um, really ripping past us. Ripping. Well, what they're doing is they're investing trillions in retooling their workforces, like in the Middle East, in Asia. Um, they are, you know, in some cases, economies that were dependent on past resources that gave them a yep. real advantage, like oil or you know, low cost labor. Well. In a world with robots and all alternative energy new sources, they need to invest in retooling their societies and their populations for a 21st century economy. 
Um, we are, I think, we have put the standards and assessments in place to do that. What we haven't put in place to do that is the research infrastructure, the funding, and the um, even in some cases the technology infrastructure to be able to do that. But you know, I am I am really hopeful based on you know recently winning kind of a, a state adoption in Texas that. Um, seeing that every major publisher and there's you know very short list of people who are officially adopted curriculum that we all about 50% of us offer a full platform based curriculum so the adoption of platform based curriculum is is underway and that that's really a crossing of the chasm in many ways um, I also think that um, again when you put data in front of people um, it works. And yeah. so the fact that we are moving towards a platform-based system will make decisions more evidence-based, we hope, and um, hopefully clear up some of the silos that exist that make a lot of good intention and even dollars and will and skill go into a direction that's futile. So I think technology is a big part of the solution. I think everyone agrees. Um, but we're early in our industry's development, and um, I think it's also going to take collaboration across the industry to develop standards that make us all compatible and usable and interchangeable in order to really bring a coherent and systematic change to to the whole industry. Well, I agree. I, I certainly am a backer of what you guys are doing. Um, Thank you. And believer in it. Uh, where do people go to learn more about ThinkCirca? How do kids get involved yeah. and, and um, find go this? go to thinkcirca.com um, and you can you can read all about our results. You can learn all about our product and the framework. Um, you can use it as you watch the nightly news if you want. Um, nice. But essentially, um, you know, talk to your teachers, talk to your district leaders, and ask them to check us out. Um, check out our results and check out like you know all the engaging, debatable topics across all four subjects and ten grades. We'd we'd love to hear from you and vote. And vote. And vote. And vote. And vote. We're going to end sure. everything and with vote. And vote for all vote. the teachers who vote are running. Vote for teachers, <laughs> unless they're weirdos, vote for teachers. Uh, awesome. Well, as always, you can uh, catch this episode of more at technori.com. Uh, you can follow us on all things social at technori. Follow me at Gatoon. Eileen, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. This is a great conversation. Uh, I guess, boom, that's a wrap.